This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday, the 11th of November. And we've had some really exciting coronavirus news in the last couple of days, Norman. Pfizer, the drug company, has announced that their vaccine that they're producing may be 90% effective in stopping the virus. Do we all just pack up Coronacast and go home now? Do we not, we're not needed anymore? No, because Coronacast doesn't operate on press releases, <laughs> like scientific papers that have been peer-reviewed where we know what's going on. You'd have to say Pfizer's a bit out on its own here, at least so far anyway. They've announced this um, interim analysis, but it's not been peer-reviewed. And it's quite hard to work out exactly what's going on. And if Pfizer is the one who hasn't actually joined the same platform as some of the other vaccine manufacturers who are out in trial. And they've got their own data safety monitoring board, which has looked at the analysis of this rather than the common one. There's what, there's, the monitoring board has been shared by some of the other vaccine manufacturers. So it's not entirely transparent. There's also, you have to say, there's also a commercial element in this that they want to get a jump on it. And the worry here is that they're going to push for emergency use authorization before they're presumably earlier than the other vaccines. But the question is, is it too early to know that absolutely for sure that they're safe? So the sort of questions to ask here are, well, what does it mean? They've said more than 90% effective. Well, you've got to read between the lines because it's not entirely clear from their release. But it's that there have been something like 94 COVID-19 disease cases. So this is not infections. In 40,000 people. Yeah, in thereabouts. So this is these vaccines are not designed to prevent infection, as we've said many, many times on coronacast. They're designed to prevent COVID-19 disease, which is fair enough, because if you protect against COVID-19 disease, then all the SARS-CoV-2 becomes is a bad cold. Let's assume that we think we know what they're talking about, which is there's been 94 cases thereabouts, I think that's what they announced, and that they're more than 90% effective. That should probably mean that something like 88 or so of the cases of COVID-19 occurred in the placebo group and the remainder, six or seven or whatever it is, six occurred in the vaccine group. But we don't have those numbers, do we, from Pfizer? We don't have those numbers. But you can assume then that from from that crudely, of that 94%, 90% or more occurred in the placebo group and 10% or fewer occurred in the vaccine group. That's what that means. And therefore, there's a significant gap between the two groups, which is protection against COVID-19 disease. That's what I assume. And then they're saying there's no major safety issues. So the 90% number is a lot higher than what we've been talking about on Coronacast. And in all of the fallout around this announcement, I heard a lot of experts say, that's amazing. That's a really big number, much higher than we expected. So that's good news, right? Well, it's much higher than the regulators were willing to approve, but I think everybody was hoping that it would be much higher than 50%, because 50% is pretty disappointing. And so this is really great news. If it's all right and it gets through peer review and the study of the data and goes on long enough to have a proper analysis, and it's really good news for the other mRNA vaccines. So just, just to be clear what this vaccine is, and just a little bit of a revision on the vaccines, the So the Oxford vaccine and this vaccine and the Moderna vaccine, three vaccines around that are at the lead, they do the same thing in the end, which is that they 
put a genetic message into the cell to tell the cell to produce part of the spike protein of the coronavirus. And that goes into the bloodstream and the immune response. The immune system reacts to that, creating immunity. How the Oxford vaccine does it is that it uses a chimpanzee virus to take the genetic message into the cell. And what BioNTech, the, the Pfizer vaccine does, and the Moderna vaccine is, is that it parcels up mRNA, which is a parcel of genetic messaging, and it goes straight into the cell itself and tells the cell to produce the part of the spike protein. So this is an mRNA vaccine, and it's really good news because there's another mRNA vaccine on the blocks, which is the Moderna vaccine, which isn't too far behind. The problem with these vaccines is that they require very low temperatures to transport around minus 80, although the Moderna people say theirs may not require that depth of temperature. This makes it a very impractical vaccine for poor and middle-income countries, and it also does make it a bit impractical even for countries like Australia, where you're going to have to have a cold chain at minus 80 rather than a cold chain at standard fridge temperatures. And the University of Queensland vaccine, for example, will only require a standard vaccine fridge rather than minus 80. So they are vulnerable. They, they, they do want first mover advantage so that they can get out there because they know they're vulnerable to other vaccines that might come along which don't require that cold chain infrastructure. So just on the cold chain thing, I was speaking to uh, Colin Putin from the Murdoch Institute for Pharmaceutical Sciences before, and his group is also working on an mRNA vaccine for COVID. So obviously they're excited by this news. And he said that the cold chain issues are probably transient. They're not likely to be a long-term problem and was describing, and this is getting a bit weedy in terms of vaccine development, but basically they know for sure that if it's really, really cold, that the vaccine's stable, but they need to do a lot of testing, stability testing to, to prove that they can be stable at higher temperatures. But in time, they probably will be. They probably will be able to do that testing and show that they can be transported at fridge temperature like most vaccines can. Yeah, and I think that's what the Moderna people is. That's the American mRNA vaccine. That's what they're saying as well, that it's unlikely to require those depth of temperatures, which would be great news. You don't want complexity here. You want this to be simple and easy to administer. The other really big thing about this announcement, which I didn't realise straight away until I spoke to Terry Nolan, who we had on the show a week or so ago, and he said that one of the things that this announcement shows is that targeting the spike protein of the coronavirus is the right place to target, which I didn't think was in doubt. But he said that even though we knew it should be right, this is a human response trial and it shows that it's the right target. And what that means is that it means that the other vaccines, pretty much all of which target the same part of the virus, are going to be successful. So we're probably going to have several successful vaccines. Yeah, no, it, it, it is fantastic news. you just got to be a bit careful by announcement by press release. And also companies now starting to compete with each other commercially and trying to get a commercial advantage here. And emergency use authorization could be part of that. you just got to be a healthy, a healthy scepticism sometimes about the way the pharmaceutical industry behaves. It's not necessarily entirely selfless, even in this difficult environment. But the pharmaceutical companies have taken a risk here. They've done a great job. And, it, you know, these things are coming to fruition. And coming and to your point about the spike protein, there's a, there are vaccines around being tested. I think Chinese vaccine, which is the whole inactivated virus. And that's what Terry's referring to. And Ian Fraser spoke about it early on in the pandemic is, you know, do you need the whole virus in some shape or form to produce the immune response, which has problems attached to it? And it turns out that you don't. So just some quick notes on timing then. A, when when will we get the full data from Pfizer? And B, if it is all legit and it continues to forge on and prove safe, 
When would we see it in Australia? Well, they're saying that they're going to have 50 million doses or thereabouts ready by the end of the year. I assume that's first come, first served in terms of who's committed to them. Remember, it's a two-dose vaccine, so then 50 million doses means 25 million people. It's not going to go very far. My understanding is they're gearing up for manufacture in other parts of the world as well, not Australia at this moment. Although the Monash group that you're talking about have called for an mRNA facility to be set up here so that we've got that capacity. It'll come on stream next year, along with the other vaccines. There should be, by mid-year next year, plenty of vaccine around. Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today. Please send in your questions and comments. Go to abc.net.au slash coronacast, click ask a question and mention Coronacast and we'll pick you up on the way through and get it on air. That's right. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you can. We'll see you tomorrow. See you then. Bye.